You're listening to Campus Review Radio. To register for our upcoming Higher Equity Summit, examining the various barriers to equality in higher education, visit campusreview.com.au and follow the links to Higher Equity Summit. Can you tell us the key points of of the Pelican study which is going on? Yeah, so the Pelican study is quite a novel and um, unusual study. Uh, We're going out into the community to talk to families who have um, children with epilepsy. And uh, we've known for quite some time that um, some of these families are using cannabis-derived extracts, what we call oils and tinctures, uh, to treat epilepsy, that it often is um, not amenable to treatment with conventional um, anti-epileptic drugs. So it's known that about 30% of people with epilepsy have treatment-resistant forms that don't uh, do particularly well with standard treatments. And uh, particularly with uh, children who are epileptic, there's some very severe forms where um, that can be life-threatening, you know, death rates of 10 to 20% with with some forms of paediatric epilepsy. And also there's a developmental toll as well. So sometimes these children grow up with major disadvantages in terms of their intellectual um, capacity and and cognitive development and and health. So um, we hear these remarkable stories from time to time. And in fact, the Lambert Initiative here at the University of Sydney came about through just such a story. A little Caitlin Lambert suffered from, um, suffers from Dravet syndrome and the Lamberts found a tremendous therapeutic benefit from using a, a cannabis extract in her case. And she went from having multiple seizures every day to having very few seizures and, and being able to indeed go to kindergarten and start participating in the normal things that, that uh, kids do. But the the science of this is uh, a little bit unclear, so we're not totally sure what's in the oils and tinctures that gives rise to this remarkable therapeutic benefit. And the other thing that we're uh, very aware of is that these families are kind of operating on the fringes of uh, legality. In fact, under current legislation, they're basically breaking the law in um, often growing their own cannabis plants to extract them uh, into making oils uh, and tinctures, uh, or they're being supplied with cannabis products from uh, individuals in the community who have made it their mission, if you like, to um, supply medicine to those in need. So we're uh, running this study um, to, to find out more about these families, um, not just the ones that are using extracts currently, but those that have used in the past and maybe stopped um, using, and also families that are currently not using uh, in order to get their attitudes um, towards this and whether they would consider using in the future. And then the second half of the study is to take a small sample of the cannabis extracts and bring them back to uh, the laboratory for state-of-the-art um, analysis of the 
uh, cannabinoid content and other chemicals that are present to try and get a window into the therapeutic um, benefits and, and to try and work out mechanistically what, what's happening um, in the brain with, with these oils and tinctures to prevent seizures because that really isn't very well characterized at all. And it could be that you know, there's more than 100 cannabinoids in the plant and it could be that some are particularly uh, useful as anticonvulsants. Um, some may be irrelevant. It could be a combination of certain uh, elements of the plant that are important. And there are many different strains of cannabis containing different cannabinoids. And we're hopeful that by maybe looking at 50 or 60 different uh, types that are being used with different kids, we can start to work out what the components are that are most important for which types of epilepsy. The one that's not effective is THC, which is the one that gets you high. But um, it seems there seems to be a lot of misconceptions about medical marijuana, do you think? Well, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendously difficult field to operate in. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it has all sorts of complexities to do with uh, not only people's preconceptions, but also the complex regulatory and political landscape. I mean, it's it's a very exciting time to be involved. And obviously, we're undergoing uh, momentous changes at the moment here in Australia in terms of the regulatory frameworks. And, um, you know, you have to commend the New South Wales state government for funding clinical trials in this area and for setting up their own centre for medicinal cannabis research. And you also have to commend the federal government for introducing a, a, a licensing system where um, you know companies will be able to start growing cannabis to produce medicinal products the um, the problem with uh, these initiatives that are the government are undertaking is that the delivery time is not uh, such that it can help families who are facing the crisis of a you know a very sick child uh, right now uh, you know clinical trials, take a long time to report. It can be three or four years before we find out whether a medication in the clinical trial has actually worked. And the regulatory framework that the federal government have introduced is, uh, will accept applications, I think, in late October, but it's still unclear what the time window will be to allow the production of therapeutics within Australia. It could be several months or even years before that delivers. So, if you have a very sick um, child now who's having hundreds of seizures a day, then you could probably um, surmise that the, the current system's not delivering quite yet and you have to continue with uh, methods that perhaps are, are still illegal. Um, although, interestingly, in Victoria, Daniel Andrews has said that uh, the Victorian government will grow its own cannabis and produce its own therapeutic products to um, to help kids with pediatric epilepsy. Uh, what the Pelican study might do is help um, define for government what the component should be in such a medicine that government might produce uh, for compassionate use. They, they're giving it to their child still illegally. How are you going to get them to um, participate in the Pelican study? Well, the, the, the first thing to say is that every... Um, family that participates in the study will be assured of confidentiality that um, we will uh, not keep their um, information on file, will be de-identified. Uh, 
we're including families that are not currently using cannabis products. So in our database, it will be unclear, you know, which family is and which isn't using cannabis. They can't really be tracked down um, as a result of their participation. The important thing for these families is that, um, and what we've already found out speaking to some of these families in a small pilot that we've uh, conducted is there's a tremendous sense of relief that their story is being heard, that we're gathering data, and also by analysis of the products that some of them are using, there's the promise of a better medication that may actually be produced by government uh, uh, quite soon if we can nail down the um, the, the, the magic formula if, formula, if you like, for, for different types of epilepsy. Prior to this, all this law reform that's gone on in New South Wales and Victoria, could the illegality of cannabis inhibited research efforts into, into medical marijuana? Well, traditionally that's been the case. I mean, we, in, my, in my field, um, you know, as a pharmacologist that studies cannabinoids, we traditionally we could only get a research grant if we showed that cannabis did something really bad, like um, cause schizophrenia in teenagers or... Uh, you know, made you forget things more easily. And really, it's been quite a remarkable transformation over the last couple of years. And um, what we've seen now is a widespread acceptance that um, cannabis is ex- extremely complex. That, uh, As you pointed out, there's one cannabinoid, THC, that gets you intoxicated, but there's at least another 104 cannabinoids in the plant that may be therapeutics and everything from diabetes to obesity to schizophrenia to epilepsy to dementia uh, and we're only just starting to unlock this incredible therapeutic potential and also understand that the human body and brain seem particularly primed to respond to some of the components in the cannabis plant and again I stress this can happen completely independent of intoxication so as, as our learning about the human uh, endocannabinoid system in the brain and the body uh, develops in conjunction with our knowledge of the plant, we start to be much more amenable to the idea that this is a hot research topic. And I think governments around the world are, are starting to facilitate research in this area um, rather than inhibit it. There's this new willingness to... To, to boost research because in many chronic diseases we've kind of hit a brick wall in terms of our ability to to treat things I mean treat treat various diseases so you look at depression for example conventional antidepressants maybe only help 50% of people who are depressed you look at schizophrenia the antipsychotic drugs that are used are you know basically cause as much trouble as they solve um, and we have uh, all sorts of problems treating obesity and diabetes, which are, are rife in our communities. So the window is open for alternative therapeutics. And, and cannabis has one major advantage, and that is unlike novel molecular entities made in the lab, uh, the cannabis plant has been used for thousands of years by hundreds of millions of people. So we know that it's relatively safe uh, as a medicine. So I think we can fast track cannabis therapeutics in a way that's maybe not possible with um, novel drugs that are that are made by big pharma. 